would, I want to invite you to just continue to stand. And I'm going to ask Cindy if you'd put up uh, our confession. This is a, a creed that was written uh, not quite 2,000 years ago, but is the oldest creed, the oldest prayer that we have. And, and uh, I mentioned in the last service, you know, a lot of times some people will say, you know, I, I don't think you're supposed to change the Apostles' Creed. Uh, I, I noticed that you changed a couple of words. Well, actually, it's been changed about seven or eight times uh, from its initial rendering. And this is actually very, very close to the original uh, writing that probably happened uh, somewhere between uh, 80 and 120 A.D., and so not long, less than a hundred years after Christ died. So this is a, a very, very close to the original confession. And so as we do this, we do this in, in unity with uh, people from all throughout the world as well as all throughout the ages. I also want to remind you of this, and you've heard me talk about this before. In our church, uh, we recognize that there are tenets, teachings, and tastes. These are the tenets that we are affirming. These are the universal Christian tenets that make us, as one group, Christians. Uh, now, there may be some people that have questions, and, and there may be ter- churches that even teach differently, but we would say, you know what? We believe that is an inaccurate rendering of Scripture. We believe that's a uh, bad theology. But these are the tenets, as we affirm them, that we believe as Christians. This is what makes us and defines us as believers and followers of Christ. There are teachings such as baptism, communion, uh, who gets to serve and what kind of church leadership, church government. Those are teachings and we all have to take a position and we do at our church. But those don't define whether I'm a Christian or not. Okay? These are the essentials of the faith. Okay? And certainly there are taste issues. We don't even need to go in those. What, you know, what clothes you wear, what music you do, what color your hair is, whatever. Those are taste issues. And we're not going to get wrapped up in those. But I want us to go back to the tenets. And I want us to affirm them as one body. Let's do that together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the church, the communion of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and of life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that as believers in Jesus, as followers of Christ, as disciples, Lord, God, that we can know that You are the God of the universe, that You have forgiven sins, Lord, that You have established Your, uh, Lord, infallible Word for us to follow. God, that we can know that the Son, the Spirit, and the Father make up God in whom we worship and serve. And God, we believe these foundational truths. And Lord, we today want to not only proclaim them, but celebrate them before You. God, I pray that You would open the eyes of our hearts this morning and that You would help us to receive from You. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 uh, through 20, which are an incredibly familiar passage of Scripture. It's where we get our mission from, our mission statement as a church, and the mission that Jesus gave us. 
That along with the great commandment that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39, make up our mission statement. And, and our mission statement is simply this. It's loving God with all that we are while making more and better followers of Christ. That comes from the great commission that we're given that we'll look at here in just a moment and the great commandment. It's what God has given to us. It is our instruction. So as we look at that and as we understand that, I just want to uh, remind you of the importance. Matter of fact, some would say it was the last words that the majority of the followers of Christ ever heard from him. Now, we know that if you go and you look at Acts chapter 1, that his disciples got to see him at the transfiguration, the Mount of Transfiguration. But as far as a large collective group, the group that would become ultimately the church, these are the last instructions that Jesus gave. It stands to reason that we ought to have put significance in these words, that we ought to understand that God had something to say to us that we needed to hear and we needed to live our lives by. Now, let me just say this too, even though this is debated, but most conservative scholars would say uh, that at this time it wasn't just the disciples. Now, we'll notice that it mentions 11 disciples uh, in just a moment as we look at this text. But many believe that there were more than just the 11 disciples because the language is not used exclusively there, okay? It's not used in a sense that, hey, it was only them. And we know this for a couple of reasons, or we believe this for a couple of reasons. Back in verse 7 in Matthew 28, the angels tell the women, look, Jesus will meet you in Galilee. And then in Paul, in First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, Paul said that over 500 people saw Jesus, witnessed Him, and heard His words. Most scholars would say this is where it happened, right here. Okay? So as we read this text, we recognize that this was an important message that Jesus would give. Now, why do we do this? You know, every, every year, a couple of times a year, we go back and we kind of um, re-engage and basically proclaim our mission and our vision for you to hear. And I know some of you go, I already know that. I see the vision up here. I almost have the mission memorized. I see it on the wall. I can go there anytime I want. Uh, but you know, it's interesting. The Bible has a lot to say about this. In Ju Judges chapter 4, excuse me, in Joshua chapter 4 and 5, Jesus, or excuse me, God told the children of Israel once they had passed through the river Jordan, once God had opened up the river for them to walk through, He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back and I want you to get 12 stones out of that area. And I want you to come and I want you to pile them right here so that you'll always remember my word, that you'll remember what I did, so that your children will see it and ask about it. For those who come before you and come, come after you and they join you, they will see that and they'll ask, what are those stones for? That is the time in which God opened up the river so that we could walk into the promised land. It's when God did a miracle for us. And, you know, it's, you would think, oh, well, yeah, I don't forget. We don't forget. But we do. We forget the miracles in our lives. We forget the miracle that God has done to get us to where we are today. We forget the miracles that God did to make this church even here. I mean, when you think about it, I, I mean, for me, I was thinking about it again, you know, nine years ago uh, during this time, the, there was no existence of this church. It was just talk. And eight years ago, we're in a house. You know, we're, we're, we're in a house meeting, and there's a couple of you I see here that were in that house. You know, and, and I just laugh when I think about it. I mean, you know, we, we thought we were really doing something because we were filling up a, a den. Uh, you know, and, and I start to think about just just that miracle that God did. And you know the story of the property that, that God gave us here and uh, just miraculously gave us at the right moment, at the right time. 
And when I think about the miracles of lives that have been changed, of, of people who are going overseas now, people who have been called to plant churches, uh, people who have trusted Christ, people who've had their families reunited and their lives turned around, the, the miracle of what God has done, I want to remember. And it's so important that we remember the words of Jesus, the mission that He has given us. As a matter of fact, in your, in your devotional, and I hope uh, if you have a great devotional, then that's great. But if you don't have a devotional, pick one of these up for free as you walk out the door. This last week, it talked about the vision. The vision Habakkuk got. And I wish I had time to go into that because it was a different situation, a different culture that he was talking about. But God said to Habakkuk, look, I'm giving you a vision, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to write it down. I want you to write it down clearly and plainly so that anybody can easily see it. That's what we've done, and we're trying to do this in our vernacular today. That's why this exists, to receive, to equip, to impact, to send. We believe that as a church, God has called us to receive people, to receive people who don't know Christ into the kingdom, to receive people who are seeking to receive people who have fallen away and who are struggling, to receive, to equip them, to give them opportunities to learn and to grow. Matter of fact, Cindy, can we, can we jump? I want to show you some opportunities just on how you can be equipped just on Sunday mornings. Also, we're doing discipleship, and Jesus talks a lot about that with our men. Men, on the back of the bulletin, there's a tear-off that you can sign up uh, for one-on-one discipleship, mentoring or coaching, whatever you need. I encourage you to take, care, uh, take advantage of that. But I want to show you the classes that we're offering just on Sunday. These don't count the ones that are going on in midweek, uh, men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, the Wednesday night studies that will be beginning uh, in, um, in February. But... Here's what your children are learning. They're learning the parables of Jesus. Uh, first through um, fifth grade are going through the virtue of determination. The mother-daughter class, the life of Joseph. And uh, Philemon through the first Peter for the next few weeks in our co-ed class at 8.30. Then at 9.30, the parables of Jesus. The children have the same lesson there. The life of Joseph, the book of Joshua for our sixth through twelfth graders. The book of James for our women's class. First Corinthians, our men's class. And then at 11.30, the parables of Jesus, the virtue of determination, the book of Daniel, and unlocking the New Testament. So those are all ways for you to be equipped, again, in addition to what we're doing midweek, if these times don't work for you. So we want to encourage you to take advantage of the equipping that's being offered. Impact. We want to see your life impacted. We want to give you opportunities to impact your world. We want, in our men's class, they're going to be doing evangelism training, how to share your faith. Uh, We want you to be impacted. We want you to understand how to use your finances in a biblical manner. And so we'll offer training for that as we do each semester. We want you to know how to impact the world that I am. And then we want to give you opportunities to do it. Matter of fact, there are trips uh, to Africa, to Zambia. If you want to do that, when you need to sign up by Friday, by the way, you can go on our website and see the information. Uh, Trips to Haiti, that's not for the light of the heart. And, uh, and then, of course, we're going to continue to uh, try to do things here with CCA, with Cornerstone. We're going to continue to, to uh, do hands across the community. We are uh, going to do another one in March, uh, just like we did in November, uh, as far as Feed the Hunger, where we're providing meals for the children in Haiti. We want to continue to do those things that God has called us to do. We know in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that He said, Look, I want you to go into Jerusalem but then I want you to go into Judea. We're going to see right here as we look at Jesus' commission to us, His mission for us, that He makes it very clear it's not just for home. Now, let's look at that real briefly, if you would, with me. And Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. 
And let's start with the 16th verse here. In the 16th verse, it said, Then the eleven disciples, so we know it, the eleven went. Uh, they've been told by the ladies that Jesus is going to meet you at this area. And uh, so probably the women joined, and there were probably multiple uh, people who joined. Again, according to uh, the instruction that was given in Matthew 28:7 and 1 uh, Corinthians 15:7, This is probably where the large gathering occurred. And he said, and when you see him, and when you saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. There's another reason that I think there were more than just the eleven, because it said some doubted. Why, why would I say that? Because the eleven have already seen Jesus. Thomas has already placed his fingers in his side. They've already seen Jesus. They've already spoken to Jesus. They've already had communication with Jesus. So they're not going to be shocked at this point. Okay? So as we continue here, it says, Then Jesus came to them, and, and all authority in heaven and earth has been given me. Therefore, go. Jesus says right there, I want you to go. He gives an instruction. He gives a command. I want you to go. And what does he say? I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Now, the Greek word there for disciples is the Greek word um, mathatuo. And mathatuo is not simply an instruction. Okay, It's not, I want you to go and, and teach people. It's not, it's not just that. It's, mathatuo literally means this. It's a combination of convert, basically. So I want you to, have, to make believers... I want you to educate them, so to speak, but then I want you to send them. I want them to do it, okay? So I want you to do it, I want you to learn it, and I want you to be converted to it. And I just did that backwards. I want you to be converted, I want you to learn it, and then I want you to do it, okay? So that's mafatuo. It's a combination of those terms. So it's not simply an informational issue. That's what it means to be a disciple. So Jesus said, I want you to go and I want you to make a mapatuo. I want you to make complete disciples. And then, then he says this. He says, of all nations. The Greek word right there doesn't just mean nationalities. He's talking about races and cultures and people groups. I want you to go into all these people groups. You know, one of the reasons that we do missions is because of the Great Commission. Because this is what Jesus has told us to do. Uh, Greg and Tori are sitting right here. In just a couple of months, they're going to be going to Rwanda. I mean, you think about it. You start talking about the miracle again. You know, God has given us an initiative that we want to be feeding uh, and sponsoring a thousand children. Matter of fact, put that up there, Cindy, if you would. We want to be sponsoring a thousand children. Here's the amazing thing. We did this about a year and a half ago, began to pray that we wanted this to happen uh, by 15. And we're now, as a church, as you, as, as a body, are sponsoring somewhere around 250 children through Compassion and World Vision and, and other organizations that we're doing right there. So there's about a, we're about just a fourth of the way just right there. But you know what the neat thing about it is, is now that we have a relationship with uh, Feed My Starving Children uh, in Haiti, as their orphanages that we're going to, matter of fact, we've got some that are going to see those, those orphanages. If you're interested in doing that, you need to let us know pretty quick. I will say that's not an easy trip. It's not a completely safe trip, okay? So it, it needs to be something more than something cool. God needs to call you to do it, all right? But if you'd like to do that, uh, and I had another gentleman who, who actually is a police officer, uh, told me this morning he wants to go. So we've got four men going right now. So I, I would love for you to pray about that. If it's something God puts you on your heart, we'd love for you to go. Uh, but what's neat is if we did what we did last time in November, in March, 
that we will almost be feeding a thousand children for the year. Pretty amazing. Now, let me stop and think because you're thinking very American. You're going like, now, three meals a day, that's three meals at 365. Here's the problem. They're not getting three meals a day. It's one meal a day. I mean, we think American, we think, oh, I'd really get tired of beans and rice three times a day. Well, yeah, you would. But if it's the only meal you, you, you're going to get, it has a whole different meaning, doesn't it? Uh, all of a sudden, taste issues aren't quite as big. Uh, but it's just amazing. God is already allowing us to have that kind of impact. Um, ten people called into missions. We now have six people that are called to go either into a church plant or into foreign missions. Uh, I mentioned to you Greg and Tori that are going to Rwanda. I mean, I just, that, that touches my heart uh, because these are... Uh, these, two guys, these two guys are well-educated. matter of fact, Greg's got his master's and even did Ph.D. work at, at Oxford. We're, we're not talking about people that just don't have anything else to do. We're talking about people that are giving their lives for the call of Christ in Rwanda. Uh, of course, there's Monica Miller. got a note from her yesterday in Tanzania. Here's a single girl. Here's another well-educated girl. Here's a girl with her master's degree. Here's a girl with her RN who is living in a village with no running water and no electricity and giving her life for the Zoramo people because it is an unreached people group, because it is the only work in that community for Christ. Uh, neat deal. Uh, and, of course, uh, you know, another great story, Doc Henry. Some of you have met Doc. Doc is a retired pastor who had to retire because he's legally blind now. And now he's given six months of his life every year in Asia and in China. He's going and teaching and preaching, and he's blind. I don't know what your excuse is, but that's, uh, that's pretty impressive to me. Um, then, of course, we have our church plants that are occurring. Uh, there are multiple church plants that we've sponsored. Um, I don't, do we have a list of all the ones that we've sponsored in the past, Cindy, up here by any chance? Um, they, they, matter of fact, these are church plants right here that we're either sponsoring or sp- these are previously supported. Cross Point is now completely independent. They're up in Corinth. Uh, Grace Heritage over in Argyle. Uh, Lake, Lake Dallas, there's this Hispanic mission that we helped start over there. Soledad Community Church out in Northern California, Corner Church downtown Dallas, Cornerstone Church in Miami. And then the ones that we are sponsoring right now and that we'll be working with this year, uh, Ken Stone King, as you know, he and Michelle have gone out to start Simple Churches, which are basically house churches. And if you're interested in more information on that, let me know. Uh, they're doing that over in the Allen and McKinney area. City Church, Ray Harmon and his family, um, and, uh, Brett and Brett Stair. And his family, and then Daniel Scott and his family. As a matter of fact, you'll see those here in just a moment. Uh, those are all missions that are happening. Those are all people that are going out of the body of Rock Point. Those are all people that you're having a part in their life as they make an impact around the world, uh, both locally in this area, nationally, and internationally. Now, I want you to get a real good visual, and we wanted to just give you a taste. We couldn't show you everything, but we wanted to show you just a little bit of some of the things and some of the transformation that we saw happen this last year. And so I want to show you a video, and uh, you'll see some of these and some of these folks, and I just want to give you a visual for you to see for 2011 as you consider what God would be calling you into in 2011. Jesus said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, of all people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Baptizing. We we practice what we call believer's baptism. It's the teaching position that we talked about. It's not a tenant position. It's the teaching position. Uh, The issue of baptism is not up for debate, but uh, there certainly is discussion about the mode of how it is done. The word baptizio means to immerse or to dip. 
And so that's what we practice. And we practice that when people trust Christ, when they say, I consciously make this decision to follow Christ, and then we ask them to be baptized as a believer, as a follower of Christ, as a conscious personal decision that they have made. And so that's what we practice, and that's what Jesus commanded in that day and time when you were baptized. There may have been a uh, there may have been a group or a teacher that you followed and that you listened to, but once you were baptized, you were considered a convert. You were considered totally in, and that's the picture of baptism. It is the testimony of what Christ has done, and that I align myself with Him, and then I commit to be a disciple of Christ. To baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why we are Trinitarian in our theology. The word Trinity, which means three. Which actually, by the way, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. But it simply means three. Jesus Himself says, when you do this, do it in the name of God. And who do we believe God is? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe the Father is God. We believe Jesus is God. We believe the Holy Spirit is God. And so that's why we practice the belief in Trinity. That's why we practice baptism in the manner that Jesus gives us here. And he says, And in teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded, and surely I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. So he said, To go, to baptize, and to teach. Make disciples. That's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about being a disciple. I want you to go. I want you to be active. And I want you to see people come to Christ. I want you to share the hope of the good news. And I want you to teach them. We say at Rock Point, we want to receive, equip, impact, and sin. That comes right from the Great Commission. And then Jesus says, I want to give you a promise. I want to give you a, a hope. And here's your hope. Here's your promise. It's this. That I'm going to be with you until the end of the age. I'm going to come with you. And, and you can have this hope. That I am with you, and in the end, it will always work. It will all work for my glory in the final analysis. Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher that some of us are familiar with, "Sinners in the Hands of Angry God," which he had. He was a brilliant theologian. Had a lot of great sermons. He's got a great sermon right here on this one. He says this. He said, "Let me help you understand what hope is. Hope is not simply the way that we think of it in our culture today. Well, uh, I hope I win some money." Um, I hope my children graduate. Whatever it is, you know, I hope my husband straightens up. That, that's not what hope is, biblically. Biblically, what hope is, it's the assurance that God is working to redeem everything in my life. It's the assurance that God will ultimately bring to pass everything for His glory. So here's what Jonathan Edwards said. There's three things that you can know about the hope of Christ. Here's three things that this promise means to us today. Jonathan Edwards said this. Number one, that God promises to redeem all the hurts and pains from your life. I don't get that. I don't understand that. I don't know how He does it. But in the final analysis for eternity, that God will redeem your pain and suffering for His sake in the final analysis. So those things that we don't know why they happen and we won't understand it, a lot of times here on earth we can know this, that God will redeem that. There's the hope that that will come. Secondly, Edward says this, the second part of hope, that all of your good deeds, all of the good things that you do today can never be taken away from you. Therefore, eternity. It never can be taken away. All the service, all the deeds of action, all the service you've given to Him, all the times you've shared the gospel, all the times that you've shared the good news, you've loved people, 
that God knows and that can never be taken away, that will be with you for eternity as you sit before the feet of Jesus for eternity. It's never taken away. The question is, does it, does it make any difference? The question is not making any difference. Is the question becomes, God, how much more can I do for you? How much more can I lay up? I mean, if it was a retirement account, we would be going, gee whiz, let's max this sucker out if I got the money. God's given us the opportunity to max our, account, our retirement account for eternity out. And number three, Edward says this. Number one, all our pain and suffering will be redeemed for His glory. Number two, he says that all of our good things can never be taken away from us. And number three, the best things are still yet to come. The best part of eternity has not yet begun. Hey, there's the hope right there. Lo, I am with you even until the end of the ages. Forever, for eternity is what he's saying. So I can take the Great Commission and I see that what God has given me and it's it's daunting on, on some levels, but then I realize that, you know what? All my efforts, my heart, my attempts as I do this, I am laying up in store for me for eternity. And I can know this even when it goes bad, even when I don't understand, even when I think things didn't go right. God redeems that. And it can never be taken away from me. And the best is yet to come. You know, I look at this and I just... I'm amazed when I stop and think the opportunity that Christ has given us. And we don't have to be successful on earthly terms, but for eternity, we are successful when we are obedient to His command. It's the purpose that we've been given. It was the last public word that Jesus gave. And here it is. So, what does that mean for me? Number one, I want to thank God for what He's done in my life. I want to thank God for what He's done through our church. I mean, as, as I look at those missions, I thank God. Because eight years ago, it wasn't even a fathomable dream. I want to thank God for the families that God changed. You know, I, I, I wish sometimes I just wish you could have my job. There's parts of my job you don't want. But there's parts of my job that I just I, I, I feel sorry for you. You don't, get to, you don't get to do it. And really, you do get to do it. You don't get to get paid. I, I, I just... It's, it's amazing. I just thank God for those opportunities. You know, and, I, and I'm sitting here and I'm watching people. I'm watching a guy who was in prison, in a federal prison a year ago, and he's trusted Christ, and his life has turned around. I'm sitting here and I'm looking at a, a minister who's baptizing him, who is addicted to heroin, and today he serves on our staff. I'm looking at a, at, a, at a music minister who he and his wife, before they, before they came here, they were, they were divorcing, they were separated, and that was going to be the end. And every day, every Sunday, he, he leads us in worship. I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm looking at a neighbor. Matter of fact, I'll go to their house tonight and meet in small group. And I mean, when we were showing those Christmas things, I just about lost it because I, I know these stories because here's a lady who two years ago, her husband left her. She's got two small children and she's pregnant. And he takes off and leaves. And he, she has not seen or heard from him since. Doesn't know where he is. And so a year ago, she's wondering, how am I going to make it? I'm going to lose my house. I'm, I'm, I'm just had a baby. I have, no, I have no husband. At the same time in my neighborhood, there's another guy whose wife dies of cancer. They think it's something else and all of a sudden in a matter of months he's gone. And there's two small children. As a matter of fact, those kids were giving their testimony up on that thing. And I mean, whoo! Uh, I'm, I'm just like, I know it looks touching, but when you get the real story, it's really touching. So here are three children without a father, 
Here, two children just had their mother die. Okay, and they lived in our community. They didn't go to our church. And God, you know, they, they meet each other. And then they commit their life to Christ. They commit their life to Christ. They begin to come, they begin, they begin to come involved here. We're, they're now hosting our small group. And that was him baptizing that little girl who doesn't have a father. That's him baptizing her now. Now look, here's a little girl who lost her, you know, who, whose father left. She doesn't know where he is. Then there's two other little girls here whose mother has died. And God's redeeming that situation. And we get to see some of that here on earth. And I'm just thinking, thank you, God, that I get to be a part of that. I get to see that. You know what I mean? And I think, and I, and I see Don Jones up there, who two years ago came here. I, I don't believe this stuff. You know, whose husband sat up here and said, you know, I'm really interested. I want to know more. You know, and they, they had to move out. But and seeing her baptized and see her stand up and give testimony. And you get to see that. And I, and I see a, another family who, because of pornography, it's, it's ending. The relationship's ending. And, and God reunites them and puts them back together. And, and that family is, is saved. It's, it's, it's a miracle. You know, and I think of story after story. And I think of these guys who are called. I think of the families who are going. I think of Monica who's going. I think of, of these people who are called to go plant churches. And I keep seeing how God does miracles. I don't want to forget that. I want to stack those stones up here. And I want to show these silly videos that you wonder why do we show them every year. So we don't forget that God's doing a miracle in a place that didn't exist. This was a horse field five years ago. Do you get that? This was a horse field five years ago. So I, I don't even know how I was going to end my sermon. But I'll tell you that. I don't want to forget, and I want to remember that Jesus has called us to do this, to receive people. Every Sunday, people walk in here. You know, I'll never forget two years ago, a guy called me. He said, uh, or three years ago, however long it was, a guy called me. He said, uh, I just want to come up and meet you because I don't really, I've been coming to church for the last couple of months, and I don't know anybody. My wife has got terminal cancer, and I just want to know somebody. And so I thought I should at least meet you and let you get to know my name. And some of you got that gentleman into his room. Sure enough, his wife died. But he sat here every every week. You know, and I just shared you the stories of people who lost their spouse, lost their children. The girl who sang the special, who whose baby died six months ago. And she's singing Shout to the Lord right now. Hey, why? Why, I'll tell you this, because Jesus has given the commission. And Jesus has given the proclamation, Lo, I am with you even until the end of the earth. And until then, I want you to receive, equip, and I want you to impact in sin. That's what we're here for. It's not just to hear sermons. It's not just to listen to more. It's why we're here. So, what are you going to do this year? What are you going to do? How are you going to be a part of the vision? What is God calling you to be a part of? I don't know if that's teaching children. I don't know if that's you need to be discipled this year. I don't know if that's starting a small group in your area. I don't know if that's participating in our missions. I don't know if that's you being called to one of our mission trips. I don't know if that's your family being called to go on the field. And if they are, we'll help you get there. We'll financially support you. We'll help you get trained if that's what God's calling you to do because that's what God has called us to do. question is, where's God calling you? Are you going to say yes? Let's pray. Father,
thank you for the opportunities that you've given, for the things that you've done. And God, I pray that we don't ever get used to seeing people get in that baptistry. I pray, Lord, that we don't ever get used to men and women being called to go to the mission field, to be called, called to plant churches, to be called, Lord, to go and to serve. Lord, I pray that we don't ever get used to seeing starving children and realizing that you've equipped us with the opportunity and the resources so that they don't die, so that they can hear the good news, so they can be fed and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we don't ever become so complacent that we forget our purpose. And that is to see people, men and boys and women, come to Christ. Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you today, Lord, I pray that they'd recognize their sin, that they would see their need for you and invite you to come in and to forgive them and receive the grace and forgiveness that you offer. So, Lord, we give you praise, we give you thanks, we give you glory. And we ask that you draw people to you. In your name I pray. Amen.